Then Reese displays the city's numerous and varyingly shadowy ethnic groups, the Italians, the Jews, the Bohemians, Czechs, and Slovaks, the Blacks, the Chinese. He does not spare the reader his opinion of the habits and practices of these groups, some of which, while time-honored, are barely comprehensible to the Danish-born author. He goes on to describe the plight of the city's poor children, many of them homeless, having been cast out by families no longer able to support them. He writes of the disastrous effects of alcohol, alludes circumspectly to the opportunity and danger that prostitution presents to poor girls, deplores mendicants and others dependent on charity. Then he briefly outlines the work of reform groups and private charities, and lauds those few builders who have invested in the planning and erection of model tenements, solid and sanitary. He is a moralist, but one grounded in daily reality, who believes that cleanliness is quite literally next to godliness, or at least an absolute prerequisite for it. Sunlight, air, and the eradication of filth are for him the agents that will drive out crime, disease, illiteracy, inertia, and despair. He concludes with an appendix of sobering and inarguable statistics. That the density of population in the Lower East Side's 13th Ward was nearly ten times greater than for the city as a whole speaks volumes all on its own. To be sure, such facts were available elsewhere to interested parties at the time Reese wrote, but he had to make his readers interested. The book's immediate mission was to take on the willed ignorance of the middle and upper classes, who knew that there was human misery in their city, but preferred to believe that it was deserved, perhaps even chosen, by its victims. Reese very likely never imagined that how the Other Half Lives, his first book, would still be widely read over a century after its publication in 1890. He certainly did not write the book with posterity in mind. He was a pragmatist, above all, and his concern was social change, not aesthetics or philosophy. He did not polish his prose style to a fine sheen, and he did not unduly indulge in large, chiseled truths, both matters that preoccupied his contemporaries. Literary writers of the time who chose as a subject the conditions of the poor in New York City tended, when they were not content with picturesque surface, to emphasize universal qualities, transcending the merely local and transient. Yet Reese, who dealt rigorously in specifics, has endured where most of them have not. Neither was Reese a social prophet, properly speaking. He did not have a vision of historical destiny or a program for redressing social ills so that they would stay redressed. His agenda restricted itself to the apparently mundane, proper housing and sanitary conditions, along with parks, playgrounds, and decent schools. But in its very simplicity, his work qualified then as revolutionary. In other ways, Reese might seem an odd candidate to be our elective contemporary, 
as any classic worth its shelf space must be.